Hello and welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we're going to walk into the dark and clouded unknown. I am your third time is the charm host, Gary, here to entertain and inform you about the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. I am joined by my lovely wife beside me and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hi, Gary. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Are you surviving our marathon of Mothman? I am. This is the one I'm looking forward to the most. I know. And I'm actually, I wanted to say how proud I am that since the second episode of the Mothman, Goldian has finally watched the Mothman Prophecies. What did you think? I can't believe I haven't watched it before. I guess it just wasn't coming up in my realm of horror, so I never really thought to watch it, and I'm really glad I did. Okay, so you liked it. I did, I liked it. It does have a lot of the same feelings, especially for this episode. Okay, I personally, I'm just glad that this is going to be the conclusion to the Mothman. Because, I mean, basically for three weeks now, I've done nothing but Mothman stories and witnesses and documentaries. I'm almost afraid to wake up in the middle of the night to see the red eyes in the bedroom. Well, yeah, but, you know, you love it, so. Yes. It's your favorite. So, luckily, nothing has happened so far. So, keeping fingers crossed, we're ready to move on. Goldie Ann, have you heard about the angel of death that's not so smart? No. Well, he's known as the Dim Reaper. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Now... Today's episode contains stories about a monstrous creature that has attacked people and may or may not have been involved in multiple disasters throughout history. Some of these have even caused people their lives. These may be disturbing to some of our listeners. We are storytellers who have gathered information on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you. We don't attempt to scare our listeners on purpose. Well, maybe just a little. Listener discretion is always advised. So now, in our previous episodes, we discussed the 13 months of terror for the small town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. In our first, we talked about him as a creature, possibly a sandhill crane, or an owl, or a cryptid, a species of animal yet to be discovered. In the second episode, we covered the multiple UFO sightings occurring in the same location at the same time as the Mothman sightings. Some of these suggest that there is a connection between the two and that the being is not from the Earth, but from beyond the stars. You know, and I went into that episode extremely skeptical because you know how I am with aliens. But it was very compelling. I was very interested by the feeling i had after the episode i was like wow maybe it is weird how there is just so much connections between ufo sightings all of a sudden popping up and being in the exact same places as the mothman that's pretty insane so that was our second episode and now goldie ann you may or may not have noticed during the last episode about ufos i never once mentioned that john keel called the mothman an alien Right. That's because even with a book full of unidentified flying objects and alien encounters, he had a much different theory concerning the Mothman. He even had a phrase coined about it called ultra-terrestrial. Ultra-terrestrial. Mm-hmm. So is this a new term to you? Yes, very. Okay. 
Well, an ultra-terrestrials are an alien race that aren't actually aliens. In fact, they are from Earth, just like us humans, but their civilization is either much older and much more advanced than ours, so they remain hidden, or they operate on a different frequency, a different dimension than ours that folds over. Ooh, a different dimension? There have been some cases of this uh, being explained. These beings have no trouble hiding from us because they can travel through the dimensions to close connecting realms. A common example are fairies. Uh, there's a lot of stories about the fae folk having their own world and that people who fall asleep wake up in the fae folk's realm or they walk through a mist and they end up in a different world or a different dimension. Even heaven is considered a different dimension rather than an actual place. Okay. So could beings be able to travel from these different times, these different locations to our realm, henceforth ultra-terrestrials? Interesting. Now, the term was coined by ufologist John Keel in his book Operation Trojan Horse in 1970. In this book, he claimed that the UFOs, various supernatural phenomena like the Mothman, and religious narratives imply that the activity of a high-energy being coexists with humans on Earth. So there is a connection between other dimensions and the one that we experience. So could the Mothman be a f being flying in and out of the realm of humanity? And if so, for what purpose? To answer these questions, and if you are ready, let's take a walk within the mist and discuss the Mothman Harbinger of Doom. Chapter 1, Cursed Land. It was during the same time of the Mothman appearances that rumors would also spread of hooded figures performing satanic rituals within the forest of the TNT area. As I told you previously, the TNT area was a area common for teenagers to go to. This was their local hangout for smoking, drinking, making out, drag racing. Making out during drag racing. That is another possibility. <laughs> uh, definitely a high-risk sport. A lot of times, these activities even occur today. Have you ever done a cornfield party, Goldian? Um, not cornfield parties, a lot of bonfires in the middle of the woods. Okay, same type of thing. I'm from Ohio, so a lot of the times these parties happened out in the middle of a cornfield. So there are, this is something that happens with teenagers today as well as the teenagers of the 1960s. But there are stories that other groups were out there with more nefarious means than they were performing satanic rituals out in the forest. Yeah, I can't say I ever did that. I'm kind of skipped those parties as well. Now, Keel said he looked for but could not find any real cult activity in the Point Pleasant area. Linda Scarberry, a popular character in our episodes here, was interviewed for or The Mothman, The Facts Behind the Legends documentary. He had heard about the satanic rituals in the TNT area, and Linda Scarberry replied that, quote, We saw those people up there a couple of times. They always scattered when we came back for the second time. They had a cross up on a tree out there one night when we drove by. 
So even one of the people who has connections to the Mothman has seen people in the woods performing rituals that they probably shouldn't be. Yeah. To the rest of the community of Point Pleasant, they all agree with Keel that Satanism is not involved. However, that did not stop many of the population from believing that the land was cursed, one that was placed on the town for its betrayal. As the American frontiersmen began to move west in the 1770s, seven nations of Native Americans, the Shawnee, Delaware, Winnendot, Mingo, Miami, Ottawa, and Illinois tribes formed a powerful confederacy to keep the white men from infringing on their territory. The Shawnee was the most powerful of the tribes and was led by a feared and respected chief called Kigtogwai, which translates to mean stalk of corn or corn stalk. In 1774, when the settlers were moving down into the Kanawha and Ohio River valleys, the area of Point Pleasant, the Confederacy prepared to protect their lands by any means necessary. The Native Americans began to mass in a rough line across the point from the Ohio River, numbering about 1,200 warriors. They were beginning to prepare to attack the white settlers near an area called the Point Pleasant on the Virginia side of the Ohio River. Troops were sent in and faced off against the Native Americans. Chief Cornstalk had no taste for war with the Americans again, so he went to the fort on November 7th to try and negotiate a peace before the fighting began. As he told Captain Arbuckle, who commanded the garrison, that he was opposed to war with the colonists and that only he and his tribe were holding back from joining the side of the British. He was afraid that he would be forced to go along with the rest of the Indian Confederacy. Even though under a white flag, he became a prisoner of the American colonists. They believed that they could use him to keep the other tribes from attacking, and they forced the Native Americans into a standoff for none of them wanted to risk the life of their chief. On November 9th, Cornstalk's son came to the fort to see his father, and he was also taken prisoner. Here's where the story gets dark. The following day, there was gunfire heard from outside the walls of the fort, coming from the direction of the river. When men went out to investigate, they discovered that two soldiers had left the stockade to hunt deer and had been ambushed by Native Americans. One of them had escaped, but the other man had been killed. When his bloody corpse was returned to the fort, the soldiers in the garrison became enraged. Acting against orders, they broke into the quarters that where Cornstalk and the other Native Americans were being held. Even though Chief Cornstalk had nothing to do with the crime, they decided to execute the prisoners as a case of revenge. Ouch. And as the soldiers burst through the doorway, Chief Cornstalk rose to meet them. And it was said that he stood facing the soldiers with such bravery that they paused momentarily in their attack. It wasn't enough, though, and the soldiers opened fire with their muskets. Some tried to escape through the chimneys, but were pulled down and slaughtered. Chief Cornstalk's son was shot where he had been sitting on a stool, and another Native American was strangled to death. As for Chief Cornstalk, he was shot eight times before he fell to the floor. And as he lay there dying in the smoke-filled room, he was said to have pronounced his now legendary curse. According to the stories, he looked upon his assassins and spoke to them. 
I was the borderman's friend. Many times I have saved him and his people from harm. I never warred with you, but only to protect our wigwams and lands. I refused to join your pale-faced enemies with the Redcoats. I came to the fort as your friend, and you murdered me. You have murdered by my side my young son. For this, may the curse of the Great Spirit rest upon this land. May it be blighted by nature. May it even be blighted in his hopes. May the strength of its peoples be paralyzed by the stain of our blood. In 1921, there was a fictional outdoor play written in the early 20th century that was held in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. The play was supposed to be based on the town's history and dramatized and fictionalized many of the events through the years. In the play, Cornstalk has his famous speech about being murdered by those that he had tried to befriend. No other historical source mentions any such utterance by Cornstalk. The story of his curse was finally debunked when a transcript of the play was discovered. So what you have here is a full story about Cornstalk being taken hostage and killed. But for this play, they wanted to spice it up and they created this great speech by Chief Cornstalk and a curse of, for 200 years on the town of Point Pleasant. So it was never said. That is what the historical documents prove. On the other hand, there are still others who believe that the Mothman and the incidences that occur around there is still connected to a curse that Cornstalk may have given, even if it isn't documented. And so the it was passed down orally from person to person until it got to the people that did the play, and the play added it. That's one theory. Other ones are saying that it that that's the passing down from oral tradition is bogus part. Okay. That that never happened. But who's to say? If it isn't cursed, then why is the population being overcome with fear? Exactly. Chapter 2, The Embodiment of Fear. It was on John Keel's arrival to Point Pleasant that he hit the ground running. Arriving on the 7th of December of 1966, he immediately visited with Mary Heyer and a group of the eyewitnesses. After the multiple initial interviews, he decided to take them all to the location of the first encounter late that evening. He took them to the power plant of the TNT area. To refresh your memory, Goldie the power plant is where the Scarberries and Millettes first saw the creature exiting and during their race against the Mothman on that first early night. Right. So he wanted to start from the very beginning. The Keel group included previously discussed characters of our two episodes to include Mary Heyer, Roger and Linda Scarberry, Steve and Mary Millette, and Connie Jo Carpenter with her fiancé Keith Aker. So we've talked about all these characters except for Keith Aker, but I guess he tagged along since he was going out with his fiancé to this site. Okay. The group was armed with flashlights, and the collection of Mothman observers made their way past the locked gate and to the door of the desolate building enveloped in the darkness. Once there, however, only Keel, Connie, and her fiancé would enter the building. The remainder of the people, who were pretty brave up to this point, could not bring themselves to enter any closer to the door. As the three investigated the dark building, 
It would be an unexpected and shrill scream from Connie that would bring the investigation to a conclusion as she was trembling after seeing red eyes staring at her from within the dark. It would seem that inside the dark building there was only silence and the flashlights to detect any of the structures located within the building. As the remainder of the group waited outside in the night, they were unsure of what was happening inside. The only thing they knew was that there was a feeling of apprehension that prevented them from joining in. Connie was inside beside the two men, and she became so hysterical with the terror of the building that the paranormal investigator and Connie's fiancé had to carry her outside of the power plant. Keel asked the group outside if they had seen anything to which they replied having seen a shadow leading from behind the building. However, it wasn't this shadowy figure that had their attention. Their biggest concern was what had caused the huge explosion sound that they had heard from within the building. It was a sound like a sonic boom. Strangely, it was also something that the trio of investigators had absolutely no knowledge of. This sound seemed to only be heard by those outside of the building, even though it seemed to be coming from within where the investigators were. That's interesting. It would be very strange to be inside of a building and there'd be a loud crash that you don't hear, but everyone outside the building hears and worries about your safety. Right. But they didn't run in. (laughs) No, they still didn't run in, even with the uh, crash noise. Let them die. Well, I'm hoping that that's not a theory that you're going to agree with. Nah. You would have rushed in? Yeah. Okay. I would have already been in there. That's true. (laughs) You would have probably been the first one in there. You probably forgotten your flashlight. Yeah. I forgot who I was talking to. (laughs) Now back to the power plant. John Keel rushed back into the building, attempting to see the Mothman for himself. But there was only emptiness. Whatever had been there was gone. So... Was John part of the trio, or was he yes. outside? No, John was inside. It was John, Connie, Joe, and the fiance. I were thought inside. so. I thought so. Okay. But they didn't hear any noise, and he didn't see anything. It was, Connie saw something, and the everyone outside heard the noise, so he missed out. Oh, you did say that he went back into the building. Right. So now we're at Keo rushed back into the building because he was hoping that you know the Mothman creature was there, the red eyes that Connie had seen. Unfortunately, Connie was the only one to witness the eyes, and she did not notice any form of a body connected to it. It was as though the Mothman wanted to reach out to her and her alone. So now we have a creature that can get to you even if you're surrounded by other people. Remember, it was Connie Joe that had locked eyes with the creature before and got the uh, injuries. Because as we previously mentioned in our last episode, many of the eyewitnesses who had direct contact with the Mothman had cases of conjunctivitis associated with exposure to ultraviolet radiation. This would not be the only lingering injuries, as Marcella Bennett, the mother who was knocked into a trance and fell on her child, would end up having to go to the hospital to receive medical treatment for anxiety and panic attacks. I'm sure. Well, she wasn't even the only one in the hospital at that time because Linda Scarberry was also in the emergency room during the exact same evening, also suffering from multiple panic attacks. Though neither woman had any knowledge of the other, 
They were both experiencing the same symptoms of shaking, inability to sleep, and overall nervous agitation. The other connection that these two women had is that they had both had direct eye contact with the Mothman creature. Now adding in Connie Joe, we now have three women who had suffered lingering effects after staring into the eyes of the Mothman. They and others would have bouts of panic and anxiety for no discernible cause. Linda was terrified to drive and had to constantly check the back seat for the appearance of the winged creature. All three women would have difficulty sleeping as fear of seeing shadowy figures in the room would constantly occur. This would continue for the rest of their lives, even for those eventually moving away from the Point Pleasant area. I'm sure that's something you never forget. It wasn't even that they were remembering the incidences that happened to them. These were continued exposures to the creature. They were still seeing the red eyes or feeling its presence even after an original eyewitness account of it. They saw it and they would forever see the creature. As to what happened at the power plant with Connie... They would experience times of seeing the red eyes appearing and disappearing without warning, as though the creature was either checking in on them or had become permanently latched into their psyche. Why? Was it causing the fear or was it feeding off of it? Going back to the TNT's area's abandoned power plant, John Keel would return to the area during the next afternoon. He was alone this time. He wanted to go back to find some evidence in the daylight. But as he approached the structure, the experienced paranormal investigator felt a heaviness in his chest, causing some difficulty breathing. The pressure was waves of fear and apprehension that was stronger than anything he had ever experienced before, especially as this fear had no source. This was the exact same apprehension that was given to the other eyewitnesses the night before that prevented them from entering the building. He hadn't experienced it on that night, but today it was hitting him full force. When he backed away from the location, he felt the terror dissipate as though the area had a zone of fear circling the power plant. Whether this was caused by the Mothman being in the building at the time, or if it was a doorway which enabled the creature to pass between dimensions. So imagine being afraid of a location so badly that you can't even walk to it. It keeps you from entering it. I would love to find that. Well, we'll keep looking and we'll try and find you one. Okay. Could this projection of terror be a self-preservation instinct to protect the investigator from crossing over into the unknown? Perhaps... It was an ability that humanity has developed over the centuries to protect them from areas where the veil to areas that they cannot survive is thinnest. Regardless, accounts would continue in which those that experience encountering the Mothman would have an unspecified terror, even if the creature did nothing hostile in any way. For those that locked eyes with the red orbs, that sense of fear would be permanent. It's kind of like that saying by Nietzsche that when you look into the abyss, the abyss looks into you. Yeah. Well, when you look into the Mothman, the fear that you look into is going to be reflected back at you. As eyewitnesses continue to describe the creature known as the Mothman, there are some similarities between these accounts and descriptions of other entities much, much older. Entities known as angels. 
Chapter 3, The Angel of Death. Now, I'm not going to claim to be any theologian or an expert on the Bible, but there are, according to what Bible describes, angels who have a much different appearance than the common man with wings. Angels are known to fulfill the missions between God and men as messengers. And when people think of angels, they mostly picture a majestic, human-like winged being. Cherubs, which are a type of angel also mentioned in the Bible, have even been reimagined to fit the image of Cupid. Cute babies with tiny wings. So are you familiar with these versions of uh, angel descriptions, Goldian? Of course. So there are also conceptualizations that aren't completely accurate. Angels, according to the holy text, are a bit more bizarre, at least when you take the writings of the Old Testament. According to the Old Testament Bible, there are different types of angels which surround God. One historian wrote about the description of four variations that arise in a hierarchy of angels that have been explained in detail in the scripture. First group, the cherubim, also shortened to cherubs. These were considered the lowest rank amongst the four types of angels. So how do you describe a cherub, Golia? A baby with tiny wings. Okay. <laughs> The Bible describes these beings as animal-human hybrids tasked with guarding the Garden of Eden against humankind. The book of Ezekiel depicts them as having four faces. So these are angels with the face of a lion, an ox, an eagle, and a human. They also have straight legs and four wings, bull hooves for feet that gleam like polished brass. Of the two sets of wings that they have, one set covers their body and the other is actually used for flight. According to the prophet Isaiah, there's another category of angels known as the seraphim. The prophet describes these angels as having six wings, two of which are for flying, while the rest cover their head and feet. The book of Revelations only differs this description slightly, saying that their six wings are full of eyes. So if you think of the uh, entity of the Mothman, how he shows that he has eyes on his chest, maybe it's not his chest, but he actually has eyes on wings that are covering his body. Interesting. There's also another form of angels known as the Ophanim, or the wheels. These are the most bizarre that are described in the Bible. Ezekiel's account in the Bible describes them as beings made from interlocking gold wheels with each wheel's exterior covered with multiple eyes. These wheels move by floating themselves in the sky without any wings. So they're steampunk angels. Very much so. So I'm going to show you some pictures that I will link to in our show notes. Okay. So what you should see here... So, here you have what angels are appearing as in a description of the Old Testament. There's Mothman. That is a seraphim. Interesting. So, a seraphim is a being that looks like it's basically made up of wings and eyes that stare back at you. Wow. A lot of these descriptions do match into what the Mothman has been described as looking like. In addition to the different descriptions of angels, there is a fourth version 
The Malachim are God's messengers and are the most human-like of angels. They acted on God's behalf in the Old Testament. One key example of this type of angel is the angel of death in the Passover account. So the angel that came to visit Jesus as he was being crucified is said to be one of these types of angels. And that's the one everyone thinks of. Yes. That is the one because it is the most human-like. Right. Less scary. Throughout scriptures, angelic visitations begin with the angel appearing to a person, then quickly commanding, do not be afraid, or fear not. Why would they have to say this? Is that your angelic voice? That's, well, it's got to be booming and powerful like the angels are. I mean, why would they need to give you, you know, tell you not to be afraid just when they show up? That's true. I mean, their appearances are so strange and fearsome that they knew that those who gazed upon them would tremble in fear. Never thought about it. They are also so powerful that they usually show up with this disclaimer and people tremble in their presence. As if the dimensional essence of the world that they came from splashes in and overwhelms the people, the eyewitnesses. One entity that affected mankind most during its appearance was cases where people met the angel of death, possibly seen as the Mothman. Yeah, because he's black. I mean, that's why when I think of the angel of death, it's black with wings. And we've already shown that uh, some of these angels could be... Moth-like. Moth-like <laughs> and covered in multiple wings with eyes on them. It's crazy. That peer into your very soul and uh, the dimensions that they come from might cause panic and so forth. Kind of like if you're in the environment of being under the water. You know, you're in a different environment and different effects on you. So why couldn't the dimensions that the angels or Mothman come from also have this effect? Right. Chapter 4, Death Omens. If the Mothman is the angel of death, we have seen that in our first Mothman episode, we discussed his appearance at the collapse of the Silver Bridge. The bridge, built in 1928, spanned the Ohio River between the states of West Virginia and Ohio. It served 4,000 vehicles every day. However, it was on a cold Friday night at 5 p.m. on December 15, 1967, that the bridge was filled with rush hour truckers, commuters, and Christmas shoppers. Without warning, the bridge began to shake. Within 60 seconds, the Silver Bridge rocked and collapsed into the river. In all, 31 vehicles went into the Ohio River that day, sending 64 people into its 44-degree water. Of the 64 people who crashed into the river, 46 died. The collapse remains the deadliest bridge disaster in United States history. Strangely, the sightings of the death omen Mothman disappeared from Point Pleasant immediately after. Okay, so right there. Um, so in the movie, it was 36. Yeah, I, again, like I said, it doesn't want to follow through all the facts. I don't know why they changed it to 36 and even made uh, the Connie character 37. So that's just a variation between the facts and movies. Okay. So, sorry for any confusion that may have caused. The Mothman may have left Point Pleasant, 
but the entity was not gone completely. The year before Chernobyl's power plant blew up, the people working and living in Chernobyl began to report strange events. There were sightings of a strange creature described as having huge and thick black wings. It was said to be a bird-like creature with the body of a man, colossal black wings that stretched over 20 feet. It was reported that it did not have a head, but glowing red eyes coming from the pit where its neck should have been. So, kind of sound familiar? Very much so. Mm -hmm. A few workers at Chernobyl also allegedly saw the same creature, now being called the Black Bird of Chernobyl, hovering over the plant. Wow. People who had seen the blackbird began to suffer from horrific nightmares. They received threatening phone calls and some had encounters with the ringed beast. As the reports of the beast continued to increase, on the morning of April 26, 1986, at 1.23 a.m. during routine systems of a Reactor 4 at Chernobyl power plant, it exploded in the former Soviet Union. The power plant suffered a cataclysmic steam explosion that began a chain of events that resulted in a nuclear meltdown. The power plant then regurgitated a world-changing amount of radioactive fallout. This fallout spread over parts of Western Soviet Union, Eastern and Western Europe, Scandinavia, the UK, Ireland, and North America within 48 hours. Do you remember this? Um. Kind of. I mean, it was it was pretty. It was around the time of the whole Cold War, right? We were already afraid. Yes, there was a lot of connections between Cold War fears and this disaster. There's a lot of spiritual pamphlets running around Louisiana. Uh, of course. Now, when the firefighters arrived and attempted to fight the flames, over 500 people reported seeing this winged creature swirling in and out of the rising black smoke. After the incident, there was no further sightings of the blackbird reported to that day. However, this isn't the only time in history that this being has been reported. So do you think there is a connection between Mothman of Point Pleasant and the blackbird of Chernobyl? I don't know. This is kind of interesting. Well, I actually never heard of that one. And you have a good reason why that might be true. Because according to Lauren Coleman... There is not one thread of evidence physically that any winged weirdies were witnessed before the Chernobyl accident. That sounds like something Lauren Coleman would say. Well. <laughs> weirdies. True. And because of the lack of documentation, this is a bit of movie fiction that unfortunately moved into the pseudo-factoid cryptozoology. Because this was also during the same time period that the Mothman prophecies came out. So a lot of the connections from the movie transferred over to Chernobyl. Aha. Uh -huh. This has not stopped the stories coming out of the former Soviet Union. And if people believed that the Mothman had visited Chernobyl before its destruction, was it the cause of the accident, or was it meant to be a warning? I'm still going with the whole warning thing, because it's just weird that it disappears right after. Okay. Well, then I have some evidence to help you out with that. Okay. Let's talk about the case of the Freeburg Shrieker. The Shrieker. And this could help provide some light on the answer to your question. Freiburg is a city in Germany on the western edge of the southern Black Forest. Early on the morning of September 10th of 1978, the workers on one of the mines, the name has been lost in time, had approached the entrance to begin their day of work. 
As they got closer, they noticed a man appearing to be wrapped in a dark trench coat. He was standing in front of the mine entrance. Unsure as to why the man was standing there, a few of the workers approached to investigate. When they got a few feet away from the man, what they thought was a trench coat flung open and formed a pair of huge, outstretched wings attached to the dark figure. The miners who had approached stood in shock, and after a moment, the dark figure let out a series of piercing screeches, which would later be described as eyewitnesses sounding like 50 men screaming all at one time, or the sound of a train's emergency brakes. Also a description that fit into the telephone calls that people at Point Pleasant were receiving. Right. The miners fled from the creature and the mine entrance. And from a safe distance, they observed what later would be dubbed as the Freeburg Shrieker. It folded its wings back around its body and stood motionless in front of the mine, as if it was a guard against the entrance. The miners reportedly began to busy themselves with cleaning up the outside of the mine, hoping that the Shrieker would go away. Forget that. I'm leaving. (laughs) It is unclear why they didn't report the beast to the local authorities. Possibly something in the uh, creature's attitude prevented them from contacting the police. After waiting for what seemed like an hour, at approximately 8 a.m., the miners were startled by a massive subterranean explosion which rocked the mine and shook the very ground on which they stood. They rushed back to the mine's entrance to discover that the shrieker was gone and a huge plume of smoke and flame bellowed from the entrance of the mine. When the smoke and flame died down and officials were able to examine the mine, it was determined that all 36 miners, should they have been at their designated posts, would have died. This has led some investigators to suggest that the Freeburg Shrieker appeared on that day to prevent the men from entering the mine, and in the process, it saved their lives. Uh Uh-huh. So now you have a case where it's directly proven that the creature whether it's a shrieker or the mothman, actively involved itself in a disaster and saved lives. Unfortunately, as a side note to this legend, it states that six months after the incident with the shrieker, less than one-third of the workers present that day remained employed with the mine. Many of those who no longer worked at the mine remained unemployed and several apparently suffered from serious mental disorders no doubt caused from the sighting of such a terrifying apparition. Yet, did the Shrieker, possibly a displaced Mothman, save those lives? I would say definitely whatever it was saved them. It just had a side effect that being that close to something that emanates fear kind of gave a lot of them panic attacks or permanent uh, nervous disorders. Lastly, following the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Centers on September 11, 2001, There were rumors that emerged that witnesses reported seeing a large crane-like creature in the vicinity of the towers five days prior to the attack. It had been 31 years since any such sighting of the Mothman in North America. On the day of the horrific attack, the Mothman was reported to have appeared again, some claiming that they could see its face through the clouds of smoke and debris of the building. Yet, it is generally considered that these are stories and are unsubstantiated kind of something to make the disaster even more horrific and terrifying. Right. 
However, there is one piece of evidence that keeps the stories going. A photo came out showing the Mothman flying above the streets of New York City right after the disaster. When you look at the photo, it is hard to determine at first glance if it was a Mothman, debris from the falling building, or Photoshop. So I'm going to show you the picture, Goldian, and you tell me what you think. It looks like a dragon. A dragon? Yeah. Okay. So you can see why a lot of people felt that this image is actually the Mothman flying away from the 9-11 disaster. For me, I don't believe in the uh, actual photo or the story of the 9-11, but if the Mothman was going to be around an area of a disaster, the 9-11 attack and the falling of the trade towers would definitely qualify. I would like to add something into that, though. Into which part? Uh, the Trade Center. Okay, go ahead. So, when was this discovered? I mean, you said this was... The photo? Yeah. I came out a few months afterwards. Oh, okay. I mean, was that does seem like quite a while afterwards, but, I mean, if you remember back how America felt after that happened, do you think someone really would want to Photoshop that? You would hope not, but there are people who do strange things. I have seen photos that were actually photoshopped where a person is taking a selfie from a building with the trade towers right behind it just as the airplane is crashing into it as if he wanted to state that he captured the actual moment that the trade towers were being destroyed behind him yeah but how long ago how long after was that done right it was only a yeah i'm not exactly sure and probably years after no, it came out a little not it came out a few months after. Oh really? Yeah. Okay, so there are insensitive people out there. Oh, there are totally insensitive people. <sighs> okay. And sadly it's hard to it's hard to judge what people will do. So for this being our third week, I thought I would give some movie recommendations that involved angels and angels of death. Cool. Because it kinda has the same feelings that of the situations that was occurring in Point Pleasant. One of my favorite movies that fits this kind of genre would be the Prophecy franchise of films. There are a great collection of movies about angels who are involved in the world of man as there is a secret war between various angels that spills over into the human dimension. Plus, you can never go wrong with Christopher Walken. Ah, I love Christopher Walken. I do too. He is like the perfect villain. And he's just like so cool as Gabriel, the angel who wants to bring about the apocalypse. Have you seen the Prophecy movie? No. Oh, you really should. It's kind of a horror movie, but not a slasher movie that you're more used to. I know. I see them when I'm searching for movies, but they don't look like anything I'd want to watch. The first one and the second one were really good. The third one is kind of cheesy, but that's kind of because... Gabriel, who's the villain, is trying to become good. So it's kind of a redemption story. But I, I, like I said, I like Christopher Walken as a villain more than a hero. We've reached the point of our final, final, final opinions about the Mothman, at least for now. Uh, what do you think of the Mothman as regards to being a harbinger of doom? Well, that's what I always felt he was, you know. The little bit I knew of him before you, <laughs> you know, it was like a warning system. So you're you're more supporting to the paranormal part rather than a creature or an alien. Yeah. Okay. To me, ultra terrestrials is a great explanation for the Mothman and all the strange things that was going on around it. 
Could there be another world just outside the reach of normal human perception? And could those places sometimes blend into our world? Skinwalker Ranch is another common location that where this is thought to happen. Yeah. The Kingdom of Heaven could be just a realm, and Point Pleasant had just a crossover that allowed an angel that was attracted to fight. The Kingdom of Heaven could be just such a realm, and Point Pleasant could be a crossover that allowed an angel that is attracted to psychic energy of death and fear. The eyes of this angel of death pierced through the minds of those that directly interacted with it and cursed them for a lifetime of anxiety and panic attacks. Perhaps, like the Freeburg Shrieker, it was trying to warn of disasters. Or perhaps it is less interested in the world of man, but is naturally attracted to the energy of fear and death. That makes more sense. Well, if this is true, then the people of Chicago have reasons to be concerned. As the Chicago region has been experiencing reports of a giant flying-winged humanoid. It's been reported over the last few years of a winged creature flying from building to building in the city of Chicago. And if it's true and the Mothman holds true to form, Chicago could be facing a disaster much like the Silver Bridge, Chernobyl, or the Freeburg Mines. So it's something that we'll have to continue to keep an eye on and hope for the best. Well, being sure to avoid warnings of impending doom, I suppose this is a good time to make our way back out of the mist and bring this episode to a close. Special thanks to David Facilian and Facilian Studios for our introduction music. You can reach us on our Facebook page, Within the Mist Podcast, and we are involved on our social media of Instagram and Twitter, as well as having an email address at withinthemistpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, and we love stories about your own personal experiences. We hope you enjoyed our stories about the Mothman, and we'll come again for another episode. Until then, remain constantly curious. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. See you later.